you find yourself swept away by the constant change and turmoil around you? Whether personal or professional, these challenges can keep us from living a life of peace and productivity. I'm Liz Hurl, a licensed clinical marriage and family therapist, and I want to show you data-driven strategies to help bring stability and peace to your life. Welcome to the Anchored in Chaos podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, Liz. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here. Thanks for hanging out with me, as always. Yeah, I love Partner this. Partner in crime. I love this. This is, yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah. It's getting better. It's, I hope. We're getting better. Yeah. <laughs> this, you know, to pull back the curtain, this is a learning. Yeah, we this had lots of conversations a... over breakfast about that. Yeah, we a do. learning curve. We learn, we learn as we go. We couldn't do it without Brian and his services, but... Um, we're just the way, well, we're, anyway. the, way we're <laughs> the way we're structuring things and hopefully the information we get to put out to people is viable information and usable and we're not talking over anybody's heads but we're not we're not drawing with crayons here either not yet <laughs> but today we got a good topic we're going to talk about some sciencey stuff too we do so we are going to cover basically an all-encompassing idea of how alcohol the chemical alcohol mm -hmm. impacts our overall whole being our yeah. body and our mind and our, our whole self, not yeah. just, so the mental and the physical aspect right. in combination. And I know that a lot of individuals struggle with alcohol consumption as far as utilizing it as an antidepressant. Right. When we've talked about it as a depressant. Right. And full confession, we've all been there. Oh, absolutely. Right? Anybody mm -hmm. who's been around the block or around the world a few times. Maybe not the Pope. I don't know. Yeah. Well, no, definitely the Pope. I just realized that. Definitely the Pope. Anyway, we all have experienced that, and some of us come through that storm mm -hmm. fairly undamaged. Some of us make a great realization that this is a dead-end street. Right. And yeah. There's, uh, that's the, what we're going to talk about. Very much so. And the risk factors of understanding genetic components mm. of alcohol disease mm -hmm. and kind of addressing some of that a little bit. Absolutely, yeah. So where to begin, I kind of went over this a little bit just in preparing for this episode. I wanted to talk about, I learned some, well, obviously I learned some things. I understand the impacts of what drives people to utilize alcohol, different traumatic events or even upbringing, things like that. Yeah. It's very normalized. Like, yeah. Oh, we all drink. So you're you're going to speak really to how people are exposed to it and mm -hmm. kind of why they keep going back to this really toxic practice. Right. And I think that kind of can go into unresolved tra traumatic events or, you know, like it just kind of sounded like I'm beating myself, but like childhood upbringing and things of that yeah. nature. Yeah. But I, I think that we lose, or we just don't have an understanding of how much it really breaks internally mm -hmm. that we see all the effects that alcohol gives us. Right. Like mm -hmm. we talked about that earlier, you feel People say you can be a really funny drunk or you can be not so kind drunk, all yeah. the things that, but we kind of looked into why does that happen chemically? Yeah, right. Like what is going on in our body? What is being turned off or right. released or things of that nature? In the conversations we had, I relate to you several instances of people who I saw literally Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were um, a totally different person. And then when they started to imbibe, they became uh, indescribable. Some became indescribably high functioning, mm -hmm. 
and talented yeah. beyond belief. Right. But that's a rare thing. And, yeah. and yeah. again, this is this speaks to the idea that there's an exception to every rule, right? We're, we're going to talk. I'm, I'm going to talk about some of the biochemistry and some of the areas of the brain and how they work and are affected in the biochemical reactions that bring on these effects of drunkenness and inebriation. But the behavioral part of it, it is quite fascinating that it really is the the black box of the mind and the personality that what emerges after the effect is kicked in, right? Mm -hmm. It's amazing. Right. right. And I said to you earlier, I think that it's more so about what get you know, what gets turned on or dampened, you know, either way you look at it mm -hmm. of now, I, as you were sharing that, I, I had to say for self that any individual that has been around me after I have consumed alcohol, I'm already a volume increased individual and that only intensifies. You mean you get louder. <laughs> That's what you're saying. You get loud. I might get a little louder. Okay. And I, I don't recognize it, Yeah. but I'm already loud and people are like, Liz, you're being loud. And that, so mm -hmm. there is just that. That increase. is interesting. So, Much of the work that I'm going to rely on here or, or I'm going to convey to you, it's built primarily from my understanding through all of my science degree work and knowledge, but I also built a lot of this stuff just recently from a podcast from uh, Dr. Andrew Huberman, who I admire and respect very much. I watch his podcasts all the time, but he, he talks about the idea that the alcohol that enters our system is in, indiscriminate, but it really goes after those it really goes after things that are wrapped around behavioral stuff. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And he brings to mind that you can go to a party and everybody's talking really loud. It's because inhibitions have begun to drop and yes. we're not able to uh, regulate. Yeah, and regulate, we're, right. We just keep talking louder and louder. <laughs> and you walk outside and your ears ring and your voice is hoarse. And yeah, it's, it's amazing how that happens. Mm -hmm. But it's all the... It's all the effect of drunkenness. Right. And, and then what goes on in our body when that happens, obviously we all, you know, we know the nervous system's impaired mm -hmm. um, when that takes place mm -hmm. and you are slower to respond to things or you're not just not as, yeah. you're just not present. You're not tracking. Yeah. Right? It's interesting you use the term nervous system. It is, it does directly affect the nervous system. However, what we're going to focus on, what we're going to focus on here really is the behavioral changes that come about through the exposure to alcohol and that there is no safe level of alcohol to right. take in. Right. And I think that's really important to talk about. Right. And but not we, to say, again, sorry not to cut you off, but not to say you can't drink alcohol. Yeah. It's just awareness around what alcohol does for you. This, does do you. Actually. This isn't, yeah, this isn't a, a session of passing judgment and finger, finger wagging. This is the simple fact that we need to know that alcohol is a toxin. It, mm -hmm. it is absolutely poisonous and it comes in three forms, but the methyl alcohol is typically what humans consume, but it's in its conversion into the acetate. It passes through a, uh, a phase. It goes from ethyl alcohol to aldehyde, a, a, a type of aldehyde, which is completely toxic. And that toxicity is the drunkenness. Mm -hmm. That literally, you, your drunkenness is a, reflect, a reflection of being poisoned. Mm. The other conversion then via a, NAD, a molecule that's abundant in our bodies, allows it to be converted into acetate, which can then be converted into fuel. And it can be then converted into AD, from ADT, ADP to ATP, which is an energy source for the cell itself. But because... It is both 
water and fat soluble, alcohol can go anywhere. It can pass through any cell. It, it doesn't have to attach. It goes right in. And that makes it that makes it an incredibly dangerous substance because the brain is fortified very much by a perimeter called the BBB or the blood brain barrier. And it, its whole job is to filter, mm-hmm. right? Even the blood supply to the brain is filtered through the blood brain barrier. Alcohol can get right in there. And as a result, it goes after it's indiscriminate. Right, right. It's and indiscriminate. So that kind of goes into the neurotransmitter imbalance that right. takes place. And yeah. I want you to kind of speak to that because we had a really good conversation yeah, about yeah. that too. Because I told you, we'll talk about what the GABA component, but I also want to talk about the glutamine. Yeah, yeah. So what we see, <clears throat> what we know is that, I'll start with some imaging. We know that alcohol, well, first let's define this. Let's define alcohol consumption. It's defined more or less on the metrics of about 14 drinks a week. Now, that could be seven, or that could be 14 drinks all in one day. That could be seven in two days. But they're really looking at two drinks per day. That would be 14, right? Well, people go, well, that's not too much. But that is a standard of constant chronic consumption. Very good. Yes. And absolutely. We know that anything that is in a sustained manner or format into your life slowly ingrains itself into habituation. So your body now begins to habituate and acclimate to the presence of alcohol in your system. And as a result, and it's readily available to pass through the blood-brain barrier, it can affect your brain in a physical manner too. Now, I've seen special imaging. This is where I was going to go to before. I've seen special imaging between addictions drug addiction, mm-hmm. alcohol, pornography, mm-hmm. they all are very similar how mm-hmm. they, liter- they literally erode a part of your brain. It's because it's non-discriminate as to the fact that it attacks the outer layers of the brain itself, mm-hmm. right? And th- those are glial cells. Now, th- to define a couple terms here, there's gray matter and then there's white matter. Yes. Now, the gray matter are the actual, the astrocytes, the astro the actual neural cells. Mm -hmm. The white matter is those things that connect. So if I were to make a model, it would be, I now have houses. These are little houses. They send out impulses, but they have to do this via communication wire to each house. Well, Mm -hmm. that that is the white matter. That white matter is made up of a a substance called myelin, myelin, which is known as a process of myelinization. The interesting thing is that as the alcohol attacks the brain, it attacks that as well. Mm-hmm. So what we see then is in long-term and chronic cases, we see that people lose that myelin sheath. So let me explain how it works. If I had, if uh, it is very uh, similar to skipping a stone across the water. Mm-hmm. If I were to throw, let's say I was trying to meet, make my, throw my rock from here to the shore. And I tried to throw it with enough force that it would pass underwater. Mm -hmm. Well, it would be slowed down, Mm -hmm. but if I could skip it across the top, that's called a saltatory effect. That's what myelinization does. It wraps, it wraps the nerve itself, Mm -hmm. the conductor Mm -hmm. in a myelinization. The neat thing is that acts like an insulator. Now, every time there's an impulse, it gets to skip very rapidly Mm -hmm. down the, down the nerve. Well, when the myelinization is now broken down or becomes weak or is completely missing, now it is slowed down significantly. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking timeframes that are nearly indescribably small, 
However, they are slower. And what we see in people with drunkenness is a slow response. We see a lack of motor skill. We see a lack of... Cognitive process. Cognitive process, memory. Sure. Which is big with alcoholism is, if, is its effect on memory. Oh, yes. Yeah. But we, we see the physical responses too. If you've ever been in, if you've ever been in a bar after one o'clock and everybody's face is just melted off their bodies, it, it's literally this relaxation process has just literally let go of everything. And you become this stumbling, bumbling, mumbling. It's really strange mm -hmm. to see. But the science behind all that is it's, it's poison. The more drunk you are, the more poisoned you are. Excuse me. Yeah, that's correct. That's way right. story. The more drunk you are, the more poisoned you are. And people know that when you die, well, you can literally die of, al die of alcohol poisoning. Sure, right. absolutely. You have, absolutely. You have consumed so much alcohol that that conversion from the alcohol into the acetate, which would normally be used as a fuel source, it just can't keep up. And now the toxins build up. They build up in your tissues, primarily in the liver, which is its first source because uh, it's so readily available, uh, drawn into the blood cells. Your liver is your, your, prime, your, your first line and giant filter for all of that. It just can't keep up. Right. Long term, you keep doing that, it leads to conditions like cirrhosis. And cirrhosis is literally hardening of the liver. You just can't keep up. And right. as a result, your body fills up with these toxins and it just can't dissipate. It just can't keep up. And it takes you... Yeah. So kind of going back to speak to how GABA plays a role in this. Okay. So GABA is present in the brain. Mm -hmm. So let's look at how GABA is introduced into the brain exogenously, which means from the outside. People who have Parkinson's are, give, let's see, now I may get this backwards. They are given GABA mm -hmm. to increase function, excuse me, to decrease GABA. I may be wrong on this. Okay. But essentially, the process of GABA is an inhibitor. Neurotransmitter. A neurotransmitter. <laughs> and it, how it functions at the synaptic gap is it allows the body to... Here's why it becomes just a little bit complicated in layman's terms. And even if you understand it, there is a... To understand how things work in your body, you have to understand that there's never just on and off. There's always a system that is promoting something and something that's inhibiting something. And while it may do this to this, it may actually spin off and be doing something else someplace else mm -hmm. or inhibiting. So what we see is that alcohol increases the amount of GABA, which in, which in itself at the synaptic junction begins to make you relax, mm -hmm. right? And it brings forward all of the, it brings forward, it turns on your inhibitions. Mm -hmm. It turns on your inhibitions. Uh, essentially, it's depressing your in inhibitory process, meaning those things that are in you, they begin to come out. Your filter begins to go away. It's <clears throat> problematic it's, for some people. It's said, yeah, it's said many times, if you want to hear the truth, talk to a drunk. That's exactly true. Right. It's, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true that you're going to hear the truth, but you're going to hear something. Yeah, well... That is the case, is you'll hear something. <laughs> the point being is that while GABA plays, plays a, an important role in, its, in your body, when alcohol is then introduced, that system of inhibition then becomes altered, and now we can't do things. We begin to dysregulate. Mm -hmm. So we begin to speak louder. We begin to make more motions. We begin to move more. 
or more animated, were usually far more vocal and uh, once again, opinionated. But what happens is, yeah, and it does matter. But what happens most primarily to the body is you're entering into an altered state. Mm -hmm. And this is drunkenness, drugs, alcohol. Yeah, all of these. All of those things. Same thing. Same thing. Same kind. Now, were you going to speak about glutamate? That's a bit outside my realm. And and I think think if we go into glutamate and GHB and... We might lose some. We might lose some things. It it begins to be. I think I'm speaking out outside my expertise there. Although I've been exposed to it enough, I don't know that I can relay it simply in this type of. Well, I think all of this comes down to that it does actually cause brain damage. That was one of the things that you know you yes. literally starts breaking down your brains. You're there. You're not able to for generate sure. for sure for sure neurologically that. For, the function that your the structural function your brain is for at. sure that's exactly right and then it's the the chronic use of that that you then gain disorders from and diseases yeah. from yeah that's right they're on out that's right I thought it was funny I when I said this to you around dehydration that I'm like no wonder it's like and this like from people are like that don't break the when you have to go to the restroom because once you break you have to go to the restroom you have to go to the oh, restroom yeah. over and over again yeah and I'm like what? more or less more or less a myth, but yeah, yeah, very much so. <laughs> but we do know, and I think this is where you're heading, is that alcohol is a diuretic, yes. right? Yeah. It makes you want to go to the bathroom. It does. And it, it does. will lead right to dehydration. Right. right? So the old Westerns where they're out in the desert and the guy takes a slug of whiskey, bye-bye. That's probably not the best time of ideas, right? Right. Uh, I always marveled when people walked into a hot, dusty saloon and asked for whiskey or tequila or whatever. Like, hmm. Yeah. Is that what you want? When was the last time you peed? <laughs> <laughs> so this goes right into a little bit what you've already talked about, liver yeah. damage. Yeah. And how that's going to, you, yeah. know, you kind of spoke to that a little bit. Yeah, um, it, it's essentially just overuses your liver. Mm-hmm. It just can't keep up. So how this works is if I were to give something exogenous, let's say intramuscularly, that would dissipate through the tissues, find its way into the cell, back into the vessels, either the arteries or most likely into the venules, which go into the veins, return it to the heart. That would then proportionately pump it back through your filtration system. Now, if you take in something orally that passes through your gut, it's going to find its way right to the liver, full dose. Mm-hmm. That's why some oral medications are so toxic for your body, is mm-hmm. that you get 100% uh, slammed by the toxicity at your liver versus something that's taken into intramuscularly, right? Nice. Yeah. So in speaking for a moment around the mental health arena, I know a lot of individuals utilize alcohol as a sleeping agent Mm -hmm. and that like, hey, you know, it helps me relax and get to sleep a little bit easier, but actually there's so many problematic issues with how it disrupts your sleep. Yeah. So that's the next part is sleep patterns. Is that how much that it's utilized to say, hey, it just, you know, relax me and gets me right to where I need you. So a couple things. First of all, alcohol is a depressant to the respiratory centers of your brain. Yes. Now, we all know or have seen, at least in our adult years, that there are people who drink and they get more and more animated. They have energy all night. Mm-hmm. They're the exception. <laughs> but what, we, what you can usually see is when people drink alcohol, especially in excess. Now, excess, that doesn't mean that you're on the verge of death, but you've had too much to drink. You're drunk. It depresses the respiratory centers. As a result, if you have, if you don't have sleep apnea, 
you're going to sound like you have sleep apnea because yeah, yeah. you are struggling to breathe. Yeah. Um, I, I, the, I, yeah. Those are, the, those are the centers close to the brainstem that help regulate autonomic function. And because they depress the that's those centers, mm-hmm. they are dangerous, right. very dangerous. And this is part of the alcohol poisoning, right? Is it not just the brain, but it directly? It can directly, long-term, affect those resp- respiratory centers. And you could literally fall asleep and never wake up. Right. Because yeah. that has actually, unfortunately, I, happened to individuals. I've seen drunks. You could beat them with a stick and they're not, they're not waking up. Mm-hmm. They're, they, are, they are completely out. Okay. So I'm really get, glad you said that because I was actually yeah. going there next. Yeah. Is that when someone's like, man, I passed out all night, but I wake up and I feel like I haven't slept for like two weeks. Oh, yeah. So yeah. that's the disruption you're talking yeah. about in your nervous system and <clears throat> your respiratory is. and your brain function. You're not getting appropriate no. amount. You're not resting no. is what I want to say. Yeah. The thought that you're going to take a couple of drinks, a couple of bracers, then go to bed, you are sacrificing quality sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because... Your body is now differentiating between this sense of drunkenness and the absolute work that it takes for your respiratory centers to keep up. And as a result, it's going to keep you in this flux between, hey, wake up and I can't stay awake. Hey, wake up. I can't stay awake. It will battle you until I guess the levels of toxicity drop. I say toxicity, whatever the level of alcohol consumption is, drops below what your body can metabolize at that time right. in, in vitro yeah and as a result those things need to need to balance out before you become regular but for <clears throat> with age with size body mass i should say obviously smaller people consume less mm-hmm. and and can feel the effects more the larger the body mass the more they can intake but once those ratios are met where they become then in a toxic realm drunkenness to your brain you're flirting with danger, mm-hmm. right? Flirting with danger. Sure, absolutely. And it and sleep is a great way to dissipate all that. Mm-hmm. But I would say another way would be to rehydrate and stay as active as you could to try to metabolically burn that stuff up right. as quickly exactly. as you could too. Exactly. That's not very conducive to somebody who's drunk. He's not going to want to hit the treadmill. And <laughs> but I would say that's probably right. the fastest. I think they way should to, hit the treadmill. Yeah. They might be. That means yeah. Trip over a few things, and then to further that, that goes into, of course. I mean, these, I, I don't want to sound like they're obvious, but the weakening of your immune system and your cardiovascular yeah. health and all the things that, that go into, I mean, we're really kind of poo-pooing alcohol right now because it is, but yeah. it's a chemical that you're introducing into your body. And we don't, I think there's just not a lot of awareness around a little doesn't really hurt, right? A little, it's just, it, you, we kind of make exceptions, especially when it comes to our mental health. It's like, if it relaxes me, then it's not really doing that much to me. And I've got it controlled and I have it monitored out and I'm, you know, I'm not drinking to where I'm drunk and which is a really whole other conversation around what your body, you know, then your tolerance level and how your body is now tolerating it because now it's taking that chemical and making it a part of its system. So where it's like, yeah, your tolerance level is higher because now that alcohol is just a part of your system and it wouldn't, it doesn't really Which is you the same. how we know it affects your body, right? You're, right? If you're, I'll stay with the term chronic, if you're a chronic drinker and you have one, two, three drinks every day, that then becomes, your body becomes habituated, habituated to having that substance in your body. And it has, because of its direct cellular influences, something else is now being inhibited, excuse me, 
I need a drink. No, I'm kidding. But the idea behind, but the idea behind that becomes dangerous to you, the longer you do it, the worse it is. And nobody, I say this about cigarettes, nobody lives longer smoking and drinking. It just happens to be something that we do. Ours is a cautionary tale. If you're going to do it, for heaven's sakes. Look, I know lots of people, and we'll talk about this. I know lots of people who are, they're good athletes, but they're party animals. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you're going to, some, at some point, you're going to have to make a decision because you cannot do both. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> those people that are, let's say they're image centric, right? So mm-hmm. you're a bikini model or you're a fashion model or whatever. I guarantee you, you're not going to have alcohol a month before you have a photo shoot or even want to have those effects afterwards because it's going to slam you like a pickup truck. It will, because of its diuretic effect, the interesting thing is that because there's always an inhibitory and excitatory response in the loop, this feedback loop that we have, Mm -hmm. is that although it may cause you to be diuretic, at a certain point, it then becomes... It then converts itself over to, well, I'm passing so much water, now I'm going to hold water. And people who really work hard at their physique, they look puffy, they hold water. And it's quite significant. I think most of us have seen people who are usually hard drinkers and they stop drinking Mm -hmm. and how their features, their skin gets a flush to again, right? They get their pink back. Their, that roundness goes away. Mm-hmm. You can just see that even their skin mm-hmm. is happier because this they're not having to deal with these toxins. Right, that are constantly being, mm-hmm. you know, in their body that they're trying to balance. Yeah. Now, that, now there's a decrease in that. Yeah. This clearly, I mean, goes into a mental health concern yeah. and how much and individuals that are, and not even just with alcohol um, consumption, if you have an underlining mental health disorder, yes. this is going to really dysregulate a person to Mm -hmm. a whole other level of concern yeah, for self and for others. But I know that, I mean, I'm not sharing any breaking news with that information. Don't get me wrong. It's about the compassion around, like I said, people utilize alcohol. It's so readily available and, and easy to get. And we make the exceptions in our mind around why we're doing it and how we're utilizing it. Well, right. it's not to this level, like which is really interesting how we kind of think that what level it's going to be. And we're putting on these parameters around like, well, at least I'm not, you know, this person, or at least I'm not doing yeah. that, right? Which is, again, those checks and balances within self of trying right. to make it right. Self-justification. Right. Yeah. And well, then you add into that, uh, there is a huge concern that I want to talk about in utilizing alcohol with first off any different types of medications specifically that's what i was going to talk with about. antidepressants yeah. and things of that nature and mm-hmm. anti-anxiety med- yeah. medication when you are putting these in combination while wow, your body and in your mind is just really working completely against itself at this yeah. point and what amount of help that you think that you're subdue you're giving yourself and you're subduing you know even a cognitive process you're going to subdue it all right you're going to not have the ability yeah. and you might go into a, a much darker spiral within yeah. that and yeah. thinking, well, I'm doing all the things and I'm not really doing that much of this. Like yeah. I have a drink, but it, there's this idea of, well, I take my medication in the morning, but I drink at night. Yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah, and it's like, so they're not close together. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> And sorry. I'm like, well, no, that isn't how that works. That's either. right. That's right. There's always some residual, even though it's burning through your body, through your liver, or again, through it. 
through oral intake. There's some residual. I <clears throat> it, that's an exacerbatory uh, process, it meaning is. one plus one equals five, right? Yes. <clears throat> and I've seen and heard some just outlandish stories about people who don't normally drink, but they're taking SSRIs, mm -hmm. and then they have a couple drinks, and uh, they are bombed out of their skull. They are, you know, they can become ill where they have to be hospitalized for just having a couple of drinks. Mm -hmm. My brother-in-law, a former cop, would tell stories about being called to bars about elderly people who are taking some type of blood medication and have a bad interaction with their medications. That they have to come literally rescue them out of the bar. They lose all their cognitive ability. They don't know where they are. They don't know what I'm they're sure. doing. It's very dangerous. And <clears throat> I would venture to say that's a snapshot of what they're facing later in life if they were to ever try to con continue on that medication and try to drink. Mm -hmm. I have some funny stories to tell about stuff like that too, but in the general, it's not good. Right. And ours is a cautionary tale. Absolutely. I, I, that cautionary, but more about awareness and infusing, again, awareness and, and compassion, because I want to speak to, you know, traumatic experiences or events that cause people to utilize yeah. Yeah. alcohol or have medication they're taking or whatever the, you know, what's going on there that we look at why that's happening. Yeah. You know, we understand, we give ourselves, I, I think we just move. So we make it so acceptable to, to engage in all of these things. And if we have situations where this is what we did in our family, I, that, that's a really common, this well, is just what we did well, in our family. That and that and socially, we just came out of the holidays. Oh yes. Right. And, mm -hmm. and that's more, what we do during the holidays. <clears throat> there's more festivities. Now it happens year round. It's a Super Bowl or whatever. Everybody drinks. So that's coming up next. <laughs> right. So what we see is people who are, they're doing a self-medicating trying to get more rest or they're trying to take, try to relieve some stress or whatever that is. But that slowly creeps into, well, I had an extra drink that night or I had, or I, I'm tying, I'm going out and tying one on twice a month, not once a month. Or the volume that you take may speak to the alarm, but it's probably the frequency that, and the, that habituation to, it's just, it's right there, right? Mm -hmm. You just have to make you know what? In fact, I'm not even going to pour two shots. I'll just pour one big one. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's still one. Yeah. It's still one. It's right? still one. <clears throat> and here we are justifying it. Yeah. So yeah. one fingers becomes two fingers becomes three fingers. And pretty soon we're drinking straight out of the bottle. And the cautionary tale that we want to make here is that there really is no safe level of alcohol. But if, if we're going to address that, we need to know that self-medicating with alcohol, especially if we have stresses or conditions, especially mental or psychological, that are plaguing us, they are going to have that exacerbatory response, right? Mm -hmm. That those sure. things really gonna really gonna blow up into something bigger and maybe worse than what we had before. Right. And in understanding that when people reflect on their behavior after drinking mm -hmm. and the self, the way we beat ourselves up and I can't believe I did that and all the things that kind of play a role there. You can, I mean, you can minimize that. I think that it's more so why, why if you're, you know, over utilizing alcohol, I think there's that in itself is something to investigate. Yeah. I'm speaking more to when we have such a, a draw to something that seems very normalized mm. and then 
we don't know how it is. It's really affecting us. Like, how do we stand back and like, what's the gauge? Like, where's the right, measuring right. tool? Right. Yeah. We're speaking a lot of, you know, science related chemical reactions in our bodies and things of that nature that I think are really important that we know what's happening. But within that, the other, I mean, everyday person such as myself and mm-hmm. yourself, mm-hmm. Of, I don't really think about all those things. I don't mm-hmm. think about how this is really affecting my body. Obviously we have a you and I have a different view of physical health because we try to actually pay a lot of attention to that. Not everyone has that line of sight. Yeah. And so I want to speak to individuals that are like, Hey, I'm not into that. I, but why do I think that And not to, I mean, not to, in my mind, my thought process here is that to not to obsess or but maybe explore the process. Do I think that I engage a little too much in alcohol at times? And why do I do that? Oh, I see. And so this is where I'm talking about that utilization, like an internal review. And some people just know why, hey, I know why I do it. You know, there's all the jokes. You are the reason I drink, you know Mm, what I mean? And there is that, and there's truth in it. I'm not saying that it's not true, but for individuals to understand all of this, physical component and and chemical response, but I'm speaking more to the mental health part of yourself, of giving yourself a little bit of a break there. Yeah. And because either we're completely avoiding and denying it completely, like, well, that's not really a big deal. Yeah. And inside the internal shame and and, and guilting and just denial that we have within self, we're really quite cruel to ourselves then. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is in the alcohol consumption, if we could step back and ask why, Mm -hmm. Am I a closet drinker? Am I a social drinker? Am I just go to the bar and spend all my money drinker? But that's that self-examination is it's usually the hardest to put ourselves under the microscope. Absolutely. But this is where you're pointing. And this is where you'd be able to say, my father, who used to attend bar quite a bit to make extra money, I one time asked him, why do they put a mirror behind every bar? And he says, because you won't recognize that guy tomorrow morning. That, that's what my dad told that's me. That's pretty sad. It is. That's pretty sad. And uh, I never really thought about I always thought it had to do with space and stuff like that. But it's really to make the bar look bigger and bu- busier and stuff like that. But he always used to tell me it's because you won't recognize that guy in the morning. Mm. And uh, that's a sad that's statement. That's super it, sad. Even, yeah. it, even in the industry, we're going, hey, drink up, bro. Yeah. Drink up. But at some point, you'd think, and I'll, I'm going to make myself as an example because a military, getting out of the military, my, my closest friend, we just knew that we were spending too much time with wine, wine women, and song, right? Mm-hmm. And we literally, and we would, we drank a lot, a lot. And we just literally took stock in what was going on in our lives. We had no money. We had nothing. Even though we made great money, we had no bills. We were broke all the time. Mm-hmm. What's going on with that? At some point, you'd think, you know, if we didn't have each other to bounce things off of, we probably would have continued down that road forever because, hey, it's fun getting drunk with your friends. But at some point in time, you need to take stock in the fact that hmm, something's not right. What are we do? Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And to this day, I've told you, I've told her, I don't drink. Mm-hmm. But it's not for the fact that I wouldn't love to have a couple of drinks sitting around with my friends and just laughing till I cried. I, I, I just, I love those times, mm-hmm. telling stories until four in the morning. Oh, those are great stories. But man, I hate the price I have to pay right. for the, the days to recover. It takes Absolutely. me a week to get my head clear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we spend so much time, money and effort to make ourselves strong and fit and all that. Why would I want to take 20 steps backwards and ruin it? Mm-hmm. 
but that's us, right? That mm-hmm. but we're in the we're either in the fitness or in the mental health realm. We deal with this all the time. Now we try to help others with that too. But now we're asking people to take a look at yourself mm-hmm. and ask yourself, why do you drink? Mm-hmm. What is it? What's the underlying process there? And is there, isn't there a better way to spend your time, money, and effort? Yeah, I, you know, in having the opportunity to work with individuals around alcohol use, I always encourage it. This isn't about coming in saying you should absolutely stop doing all of this. Right. It's like, there's a self-awareness piece of like, why do I do the things that I do mm-hmm. in a healthy way? That reflection, not a guilting, belittling, sure. you know, and I right. think that's where we go to first. Those right, always right. like just self, you know, crucify right. ourselves over and over again versus saying, hey, you know, maybe why I do this for a different reason. And I don't really want to unfold that part of me. Yeah. Psychotherapy. And yeah. there is a place to do that and look at this other part that I've just, I fuel it. Yeah. With alcohol, yeah. Instead of really examine it for self. So I'm going to push back on you just a little bit. I so when I use the term psychotherapy, you tell me it's more behavioral therapy. Well, no, I think it's psychotherapy yeah. and behavioral therapy. I mean, it's a combination it of is. our mind and, and how we respond. Our brain is giving us a response system. Yeah. So we've had an encounter of something that's given us information of this is how you respond to this. Yeah. Well, what happens and in, in depending on the timeline that took place is that. This occurrence happened. Mm-hmm. We tend to always internalize that experience mm-hmm. for self as this, I was either accepted or rejected, or this was acceptable or not. Mm-hmm. And then we get to decipher within self, like, do we want to utilize this again? Well, we do that in different dynamics and communications. Yeah. And we kind of, if we repeatedly do something and we're kind of hitting a brick wall with it over and over again, sometimes the feedback to self is like, you're just really crappy at life. Uh, yeah. yeah. So you just aren't doing this very well. So you yeah. need to either shut up and be quiet and put this part of you away because that's not acceptable for yeah. the rest of the world. Yeah. And j- then bring out maybe a false, you know, sense of persona of saying, well, this is acceptable and shiny and nice and, and new. Right. But that unkept or unseen part of yourself that you just put away is still very much so a part of you and playing an, yeah. a, an essential role in your life that you're just yeah. not bringing to the forefront, which is exactly, which I appreciate you saying that, correlates right back to alcohol uses. What are we suppressing Mm -hmm. with alcohol or anything else? We're just specifically talking about alcohol today. When we are doing that, I'm not saying, and I'm an occasion, you know, I occasionally drink. I'm not saying that's something people have to stop doing. It's awareness around what you're doing to your body when you drink. Yeah. And why are you drinking? Yeah. I'm the first to, hey, I, you know, I love margaritas. Well, and so well, I, you, you, and, you wandered down that road. So I'm going to, we're going to pull back the curtain a little bit. When you and I started training, mm-hmm. you asked me, is it okay if I have a couple drinks? Right. I said. Well, sure. Occasionally. Yeah. Occasionally. Right? Yeah. You're like, yeah, I'm not. Well, I almost, I honestly, because I remember this very clearly, think it, that it was like, well, every now and then, occasionally yeah. it's not an issue. Yeah. And what I was thinking was, well, I have a few margaritas quite a bit. Yeah, so, yeah. But in my mind, I was like, well, so. But in, but in that, the trade-off was I really am starting to spend a great deal of time, money, and effort to make myself feel good. And that desire to have alcohol slowly dissipated, right? It slowly went away. Sure. And right away, things changed. Right? Uh-huh. You, you, physical change for you, right? right? Right away. And it wasn't even that much alcohol in your life. Right. Well, it was more so that this speaks to the empty calories in alcohol, right? This is a roundabout way to make my point, but those empty calories, when you take in 
when you take in those alcoholic drinks, they're of no use. They, right. there's, there's no protein, nutrition, no vitamin or mineral value to it. All. They, they're just empty calories. Mm-hmm. They literally just find their way into a fat cell and turn it to fat or subcutaneous fluid or whatever like that. But when you get, when that goes away, your physique changes, right? You get sharper. and Right, right. Yeah. You all, you're, it's amazing what happens with your cognitive ability. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? right. and, and one of the things, and I don't want to bounce around too much because yeah. I did want to kind of button up what I was talking about with mental health really quickly. And that is, that's the whole idea of, of really working on yourself. Yes, understand the chemical impact, but also I get to gauge and not be too harshly on myself of the alcohol that I am consuming. And how do I identify if not only me, but when I see someone else that's yeah. overindulging? And I think that's a really delicate thing to to reach out to someone and say, yeah. hey, you know, I notice I'm just worried. And, and everyone's like, well, there's judgment and ridicule and all the things. And yeah. It's like, actually, if we can just learn to be able to openly give that compassion and <clears throat> awareness of, I'm worried about you. I'm not in... Even then, people still finally will probably internalize that as judgment because yeah. they feel so terrible for yeah. self in, in yeah. any ways. And then someone else is bringing it to light. It's like, yeah. so like, is my mask slipping kind yeah, of thing, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And, but I still encourage actually people to say, you know, no judgment. I'm just here for you. Like yeah. Even I watched a reel the other day and it really made me emotional because first off, she was being emotional and it was, it just really hit me. And I thought there is nothing more impactful than the presence of someone else being present. Mm. And when, and they're not saying anything like, and I think that is so, you know, transitional for male or female, just being in another human space and being aware of them and their presence and how much they matter. And it's not about me saying, oh, you're doing okay. And you're going to, whatever it's, I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be with you in this moment. Like, Presently in this moment, not two people. I want to be very clear in a moment, and both people are on their phones or distractions of some sort. Right, right. It's just saying, I'm just going to sit here and stare off into the oblivion yeah, with you. And, yeah. and it was just, it's very powerful when you have that opportunity this, this to do was, that with people. This is a very roundabout way of when I called you on the uh, behavioral changes in what we call psychotherapy or behavioral changes. Those, this is, uh, we are all broken. Mm-hmm. And That's I, what you say all the time. I, I cannot convey, <laughs> I, I cannot convey that message enough to people. So we all need something new. Now, if you're masking, if you're masking those things in your life with drugs or alcohol or depression, or you're, you need to find out, you need to find how. Mm-hmm. And you bring up this point about how do I reach out to people? Well, this is these are the tools we want to give people. Is a great deal of that is just show a little compassion. Mm-hmm. If you know that person even a little, engage them in some way where you can develop some type of friendship where you have a chance to talk about things mm-hmm. like this. It doesn't take anything to do that. Right. And they will either respond or maybe they're a tougher cookie to crack. I don't know, but keep trying because everybody's broken. And if you know for a fact that they're all alone, they could use a good talking. They, they would love to talk to you and about their problems. And if it can't be you, suggest somebody else. Sure. Right? Absolutely. And that's that's the other side of this is that we should all really be there for one another yeah. in some capacity. Yeah. And just be able to meet, just be able to be present is, yeah. it, and it's a lot, actually, it's a lot harder than you think because we're not driven societal to be quiet and present with no. someone else. That's why I said the thing I 
what I mentioned about the phones or distractions or yeah. what, like someone to sit with you. And I am, I've shared before, I am per, I'm perfectly content in sitting in silence. Like I find that actually a little relaxing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes um, I can drive home at the end, um, especially my late evenings from my practice is when I drive home. I don't put anything on. It's just quiet, just nothing, just me in the road mm -hmm. for, you know, 20, 25 minutes. And it's really like alleviating yeah. for me, like, because obviously I've been in process all day of different things, but I don't listen to music. I don't do anything. I just try and be mindful to be present of self. That yeah. has to be self-taught sometimes because we're not really taught to, can you sit with yourself? And, and I mean, that's, I'm not trying yeah, to go right. down different angles, but I'm right. just saying, if you can't, that's kind of one of those things that you should look at. But well, <laughs> I can tell you, I come from blue collar, redneck background, right? Mm-hmm. My whole family, I can, there's nothing more rewarding. So I have a 68 Chevy pickup and it doesn't even have radio in it. I can tell you there's plenty of times after a really hard day's work, driving home in a Kansas sunset, just have your arm out the window. And it's almost childlike, but if only people could have, you know, could find a time to just look around and take in what's Jordan say, if you don't ever pass up the opportunity to pet a, pet a cat. Right? Oh, yes, that's yeah. right. Um, but it's one of those. It's one of those opportunities we ask everybody to take is take a little stock in yourself, mm -hmm. right? Things are going on in your lives and all the lives around you. But if, if you can't grab hold of somebody to sit down with you, sometimes you need to do it yourself. Another really great way is just to find an objective ear. Maybe you don't even know these people, mm -hmm. but reach out to a professional. Just yeah. Say, hey, I'd like to talk to somebody about something. And I getting, of course, I'm a very strong believer in the therapeutic alliance and find the right clinician and yeah. therapist for you that you can connect with and feel yeah. like there is an ability, a relatability. Yeah. You have to be able to relate to this individual because you really have to get to a moment that you can open up yeah. and reveal parts of yourself <clears throat> your, that you're keeping from yourself. Yeah. And having a safe and trusted, I, you know, professional or individual in your life that's I, unbiased, if you will, and do that with that's going to yeah. be really impactful on your life and, and make yeah overall incredible positive changes with that. I guess that's where I'm going there. Yeah, I well, I enjoy that on my side of the the business <clears throat> as a professional trainer. I've had the opportunity to meet great people, and but I will tell you, everybody has something in common, and that's usually got something going on in their lives. <clears throat> they could use a they could use a good talking to, and you know what. That combination of stress put under put onto your body with good exercise, raising your threshold for challenge, and then just some fellowship and banter afterwards. I think you form great friendships in the gym. Mm -hmm. That's why I think really good trainers are they're more like bartenders and psychologists and stuff like that. They're just good people. Really good trainers are man. They're they're in your life at every level, wherever you want them to be. But uh, they want you to do well. That's their mm -hmm. job. I've said this to you. I've said this to everyone I've known. You're my calling card. I want you to do the very best so that you can represent me. You know, mm -hmm. this is the person who helped me. And it's not that it's not really to push me higher up the ladder. It's just that I want to be proud of my work. I want mm -hmm. people to be successful. Yeah. If there's something I can pour into you, good. That's what I want to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I always think it's interesting. People in the service industry, such as bartenders and training professionals yeah. and hairstylists, yeah. they, you know, are, they get a bird's eye view, right? Of, of inside of people's lives. Yeah. And there's like this area of like, I think I can reveal myself here a little bit more. Like, I think that's yeah. kind of interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, su- I suppose. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. the neat thing is touch is a very healing thing. So my chiropractic and massage and the PT that I do on people, that I lay hands, <clears throat> people who know that when I train my clients, I lay hands on, I want, this is where I want you to feel it. And I will poke you and prod you and squeeze you and until you make that connection. But that's part of the healing process too, is that you get to overcome some of these things where I just don't, I'm not quite sure where I'm going or what you want from me. And then as the direction takes on, now you have a bit more self-confidence. I understand what he's trying to do, but I still think that self, I'm a hugger. Um, I hug all my brothers and I do the very best I can. I think it's just good medicine, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just yeah, good medicine. No, absolutely. So we wandered off track a little bit. So we'll go back. <clears throat> but I just really wanted to explore the mental health area around the alcohol and yeah. how it really affects individuals' lives. Yeah. And for a brief moment, I wanted to talk about awareness that, again, this isn't scare tactics. And I don't think we're bringing any, again, breaking news to any individual. But I do think that understanding the longevity and the chronic use of alcohol to individuals that have, they're at, at risk for early onset dementia yeah, and how yeah. there is just not an understanding or, well, I shouldn't say not an understanding, but yeah. you're not, you're, you don't look at it. I guess. Yeah, well, you know, there's this research around all that. Essentially what I would say is that because the, because you're altering cellular metabolism, and the abundance of just free form poison at a cellular level. I just think it it just raises your distribution disposition towards having some type of ailment. Now, coupled with the fact that the alcohol is both fat and water soluble and it's free access to the brain, that's a huge risk. I don't know what percentages are that have dementia or cognitive problems that are heavy drinkers, but I do know that it affects behavior and memory quite abundantly. Right. And if we know that, if we know, you know, they call uh, Alzheimer's diabetes type three now because of its inefi- your body's inefficiency or inability to handle insulin and you're having irregularities in blood sugar regulation. Well, this is not helping. <laughs> yeah. This is not yeah. helping. No, 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 not, not, not no. at all. And we don't need to get too deep into the weeds and the science with that, but it's certainly something you need to take into effect. If you begin to see these things, you need to take, you need to weigh yourself, take stock in where you are and make a decision. Things could get really worse. Well, and I think what you're saying there is you need to weigh these things, but the problem is that we don't see them necessarily coming at the time. Sometimes you don't. And that's kind of the point or the idea I had in in sharing this piece because I'd actually was over listening to the podcast you were listening to with. And when he stated this, it was, of course, the same information I'd found, but the nutritional deficiencies that happen in our body when we're consuming alcohol and and things that were, our body isn't able to produce even what it's, you know, regularly supposed to produce around vitamin, our our vitamin take Mm -hmm. and the real common one that he talked about vitamin B12 and and thiamine that is, goes after memory. I'm like, I was on repeat there. It literally shrinks that part of your brain. Mm -hmm. Like it's deteriorating your brain in a way that once it's gone. Yeah. So because of its, because of its location, it's located right above your roof of your mouth. It's uh, pretty susceptible to those things. Remember how I told you alcohol 
if your brain was an onion, it attacks the outer layers. Well, this thing hangs out almost independently on almost like a stem. And it's subject from almost 360 degrees of vascular and tissue that sits around it. It's just not a, it's certainly not a good condition. And you'd hope that there would be people in your lives who could help turn around. We know that's not always true. But. Right. Well, and someone with maybe this, this is just more awareness for individuals that are maybe seeing it within themselves or someone else that just having the education now to pro prevent this in the future yeah. of saying, well, this isn't an issue now. All of these things that I'm talking about are happening now. Yeah. Now I understand when I say chronic use, again, the measuring tool of that, right? Right. If we went back to the measurement that you said earlier, if you did two drinks a day, and consistently is becoming a part of your body. Well, that's the lowest end of the spectrum. Right. Yeah. It, 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 I would much, I, oh. you know, I should have caught the statistics for that. Like People, what, I, I, what is I, being utilized I, currently? I don't, I would be guessing, but I would venture to say most people have four drinks a day. On average, there are people at zero. Uh -huh. and there are people that have four drinks a day. In that case. At, there are people, I've known people with no names. Drop, they drop, they drink a 20 pack every night. Yeah. It was every night, 20 pack. And then, as I would tell you as a therapist, there's probably a reason for that. Yeah, there is. There absolutely is. There's yeah. probably a reason. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I know this kind of, we went from mental health to talk. I just really wanted to briefly, you know, no, speak this about is this. Excellent. This is an excellent topic. Um, I definitely also want to say that if you know someone that's been, or yourself, that has utilized alcohol for an extended period of time yeah. at high levels and making sure that they get appropriate treatment for yeah. withdrawals are obviously known as DTs. Yeah. But because that can also cause death if you, yeah, yeah. a lot of people hear about the cold turkey effect, like I'm just going to go in and cold turkey it. Well, yeah. actually, you can really impair your system in doing so. <clears throat> yes. That is a... No. Yeah. When it comes to alcohol, too much alcohol consumed at one period can kill you. Mm -hmm. If you are a hard drinker and you think you're going to cold turkey this, it could kill you. Yeah, absolutely. You could literally die mm -hmm. from it. <clears throat> if you are, if you need to have professional help through that process. Mm -hmm. if, absolutely. And that's, that is a hard and fast rule. Do not try to just cut things off. You need to have it. You need to have a structured withdrawal. It has to be tapered. The interesting thing is about really long-term chronic alcoholics is as the is as time has allowed you to build your tolerance where it would take more and more drinks, there is a point where your body reaches a critical stage where one drink is intoxicating. It's mm -hmm. you're completely out of your skull. It's because you've lost your ability to metabolize these poisons. And now they go almost directly to a saturation level and you're, you are blasted out of your skull with one drink, mm -hmm. slurred speech, can't walk the whole bit. And you're on the cusp of bad times, yep. bad times. Seen it before, but do not try to do this. I, I want everybody to try to find help, but do not try to do this thing called Turkey. Right. Yeah. Bad so, news. Right. Thanks. Well, in ending that, I would just say, I would like everyone to always give compassion to yourself. Don't. Yeah. You know, yeah. take this and start, you know, beating yourself over the head with all the things that, and the reasons why you do what you do. There's a reason we do what we do. I always encourage everyone to find a mental health care professional yeah. that could help you in this walk and this journey and whatever phase of life you're at, whether if it's alcohol, you have any relation yeah. to alcohol or not. 
I also want to do a really quick plug of we are getting ready to start here soon some beta testing with our mind melt. That's right, yeah. And this I, is for our discussion forums. Yes, our discussion yeah. forums. And there's a little, you'll hear more about this, but you can go to our website and sign up for this. And we're going to have a small group of this. And they, the reason why we decided to do this is because I wanted more feedback as to what are individuals looking at when they join these forums. Like I thought about like someone wants to come in. It's like, I don't even know what you're offering. Well, let's create a format and a delivery that people want to engage in yeah. and who better to do that with than the people. Yeah. So, Topics. Yes. Yeah. Well, and organization and how we're going to have everything go and flow and all that good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I so appreciate that. There's an incentive to take part in that. There will be, if you sign up, yeah. you'll learn about the incentive, yeah. but there is an incentive. If you, we will be able to recognize the individuals that dedicate their time because mm-hmm. it is a dedication of your time. And there is feedback. We ask that you get feedback. There'll be surveys that you'll be doing. But it will be an experience and hopefully one that you you walk away with some more knowledge for self too. So some yeah. overall, all the good stuff. So yeah, that's a great approach. We always ask people that when they watch this thing to like, share, promote as much as you can for us. That's kind of the idea. We want to try to spread a good message. We're getting better at this, I think. And we're you know, we're we're doing the best we can, but we wanna we wanna offer something unique, and that is there's not a lot of people who just are talking, just sit down talking about these are some things we, you know, these are some issues that need to be talked about. And this was a tough one. Alcohol is a tough one. You know, and everybody is subject to that. We'll talk about some tough things sometimes. And we want to know that this is adult level conversation, but it's not too much that young people can't tune into and hear what has to be said. Because we're going to talk about some touchy situationships and uh, relationship matters. And we're going to touch about Talk about family and those dynamics and work and maybe the physical, maybe some of the physical demands of people who are challenged by different things, especially age and dementia. And it all ties together. We're headed to Virginia Beach. Virginia Beach in two weeks, right? So we're headed to a Kaizen training. Athletics training. Mm -hmm. Athletics training, yeah. It's, again, kind of my side of the house, but we're going to learn how to work with people who have, who are... uh, paraplegics and wheelchair bound and prosthetics. Yeah. The, the, the idea is more than just training or is we want to reach. Everybody has a story. Sorry. And we all need somebody to talk to. That's the idea. Yeah, cool. Take care of yourself, folks. Right. Thanks, guys. Yep. Thanks, Liz.